0: With that, I want to introduce Joshua Kim, our guest speaker today. Uh, He is also an AMI pastor. Again, AMI is the family of churches that we are a part of, so it is always a privilege and a joy to be able to have somebody from the family come in here and share the word of God with us. Uh, Pastor Joshua is married to Christina right over there. If you could raise your hand, Christina. And uh, our both uh, kids, Amelia and Hazel, successfully in our kids, wow, successfully dropped off. On a visit, praise the Lord. So they have two beautiful daughters, Amelia and Hazel, uh, and you know they're, they're here and they're heading up to Seattle really soon. I'll let you tell, I'll let him tell you more about that. But uh, Pastor Joshua has been in the AMI family for a long time. He was down at JCA Journey Church of Atlanta for many, many years. Anybody here, JCA alum? Right? Look at there. All right, a couple over there, a few JCA alum here, and then uh, most recently. Uh, Him and Christine and their family have been at the Church of Southland down in Anaheim. Any ex-Southlanders here? A A few. Okay, a few. All right, all right. And uh, so they've been there for seven years now, and uh, Pastor Joshua has been overseeing the, the young adults ministry, and they're getting ready to go up to Seattle within the next few months or so, maybe in the fall, to plant a church. And this is super exciting uh, we do believe that church planting is one of the best ways to reach people with the gospel and to help people to walk in discipleship with Jesus. So um, he's here to share with us about missions month, uh, about missions, and also to tell us a little bit about what they're going to be doing in Seattle. And uh, yeah, please think about this. And you know, if you know people in Seattle who may want to get connected with a, a really life-giving church, Pastor Joshua was a great guy. Um, you know, please talk to him, and I know he's got to kind of run pretty soon today, but you can get connected with him or, or reach out to me for ways to get connected. So can we welcome Pastor Joshua up right now? Oh, yeah.
1: Check. Check. Hello. Good morning. Good morning, Renewal. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> you guys do that here, right, in NorCal? Say hello. Oh, hi. <laughs> this is- very, um, I'm going to be very mindful And here. Hi, everyone online. Uh, well, hello, Renewal. Um, thank you for having me. Uh, thank you for inviting us. Not that you had a choice, but uh, thank you for having me. Uh, Pastor Ulysses and Christine, thank you for inviting us. And, you know, it's been really wonderful just having a few moments to catch up uh, with Pastor Ulysses and Christine and their family. And uh, I've actually known Pastor Ulysses for a really long time. I think minimum like 14, 15 years now. Uh, And through AMI connection and family, it's been really good to know him. And you you know, one thing whenever I think about Pastor Ulysses is like, I appreciate him so much because when you're with him, it's never dull. It's always so much fun. And I would say he's probably one of the few AMI pastors when you talk to them, it's not awkward. (laughs) It's such a huge blessing. Like, I love my AMI family, but... Just because I love them doesn't make doesn't mean that they're not awkward. So I really appreciate him. Uh, I remember one of the fondest memories I have of Pastor Ulysses is he came down to Atlanta to preach at, like, I think, a conference or a retreat. And something happened. I don't know if you remember this. Something happened where either his, like, tablet wasn't working or his notes got lost or something like that. And the whole service, he preached off his phone. He was literally like this. Because... Mind you, this is back then when it wasn't, like, the iPhone with, like, the big screen, the 5.7-inch screen. It's his little BlackBerry. And he was, like, literally, do you remember this? He was, like, standing on stage, literally scrolling through, and he preached the whole message. And the message was great. I don't remember what it was about, but it was great. And I was so impressed, just his ability to preach like that. So uh, that's just, you know, whenever I think about Pastor Ulysses, that's what I think about um, Anyways, uh, I know you guys have been going through this uh, Missions Month, and uh, you've had different speakers and things like that who share about God's heart for the nations and God's heart for the lost. And, you know, just a little bit of an update on on what's happening in Seattle, if I can have the... Does this work? Click. Oh. Ah, so just a brief update on AMI Seattle. Um, So... Probably for most of you who think about Seattle, you guys think, oh, it's just rain and gloomy and things like that. I don't know if it's like the work of God who's trying to like entice me to come up to Seattle, but every time I visit so far, it's beautiful. No rain. No clouds. Maybe it's a little bit cold, but it's been so beautiful. And I've been able to, uh, uh, you know, have time together with some of our AMI friends and family up there. We went on a picnic and we toured University of Washington and, we, and it happened that Mount Rainier just poked itself out of the clouds and the cherry blossoms were open. It was like so wonderful. And I'm like, I don't know why people complain about Seattle weather because so far it's been so beautiful. Uh, and and so we, we had like small gatherings of people who are interested in the church plant and then we together, we had dinner together. And, uh, you know, I just want to share a quick story. So some of the brothers that we know, uh, we, we connected with them, we were having lunch. And you know how a lot of people when they think about Seattle, it's like, oh, that's where churches go to die, or, you know, things like that. But I remember we're having lunch, and as it's not like a big deal, but we just, you know, we prayed together for the meal. And we prayed, and we started eating, and our waitress comes by, and she goes, oh, hey, I just I just want to say, uh, she said this, I used to be spiritual. And I was like, what, what, what does that, and she's like, oh, but, you know, I'm not anymore. But I just want to say, when I saw you guys pray together for the meal, it was very, like, it was very moving, and then she, like, ran away before we could talk to her. Um, I don't know, something compelled me before we left, so I, like, waved her waved down and said, hey, can I just talk to you real quick? And she's like, just because you mentioned that, I just want to let you know, My family and I are actually going to be moving uh, in the fall right here to Seattle um, because we really believe that God's called us to plant a church right here in the city. And I was like, kind of hesitating. I was like, oh, I know Seattle people are. And I was like, would you be interested in checking it out? And and before I could finish, she's like, I totally would love to come check it out. I'd totally love to come. Come see. And, and, and so I gave her my information, said, please reach out to me in the fall. And it was just amazing. And, and the crazy thing was, this is so not expected. This is not what we would expect from Seattle people, or at least the stereotype. And one of the biggest things that it taught me was man, God is at work in Seattle. Like we might not see it, we may not think Seattle is one of those places where God is really moving, but God is moving. And I turned around and I, to the other brothers after I finished talking to her, and one guy's like, whoa, that was awesome. And, and, and I think it was an encouragement for them too, to see that God's been preparing hearts. And as this church goes forward, we really believe that God is at work and that God is drawing people towards him. And because he loves us, he's inviting us to experience what he's doing in Seattle. So we're super excited. Please pray for us. If you know people in the area, uh, please connect them with us. Maybe, I mean, I don't want to stir up the pot here, but maybe if you're thinking about Seattle, you know, come, come, come say hello. Um, So yeah, um, let's get into the Word of God. Um, I'm gonna, oh, so, oh yeah, that's the little graphic that we made for marketing purposes. Yeah, Um, I'm gonna actually kind of go back. I messed up the slides, but let me read today's passage for us. And, you know, especially as I was thinking about Missions Month, as I think about and pray about Seattle, I've been thinking a lot about the church, right? I've been thinking a lot about the church. What is the church, right? Why do we gather together like this on a Sunday, right? Why does an entity like the church Exists. And I think it's so fitting in this mission, Missions Month that we think about the church. And today, I'm going to preach, be preaching from the book of Ephesians. And we're actually going to cover the first three chapters. I'm going to try to keep it short. But let me just read this passage for us today. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7 through 10. It says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which is given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be known, now, may, now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Amen. Can we pray together real quick? Father, we we just want to thank you so much for this precious church renewal. Father, we know that this was your idea. That this was your idea to begin this church of your saints. And not just so that this church will exist for people who believe now. But we believe that you have called this church to reach out to the Sunnyvale area. And we already see how you're using this church to reach the nations through uh, the the Renewal Computer Lab out in Guatemala. God, we see your hands upon this church. And Father, we pray that today as we consider your word, as you remind us what the church is and why the church exists. Father, we pray that this church would take up that calling. And that the manifold wisdom of God will continue to be revealed in this church. Because we know, God that there's many people out there who do not know you. There are many people out there who really need to know you, who really need to experience you, who really need to know that they're loved by you. And so, God, Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Holy Spirit, won't you speak to every one of us? Lord, we ask that you will reveal yourself in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Sorry, give me one second while I catch this up. Oh, so unprofessional. Okay, Um, so we just read that uh, passage in the Ephesians 3, but I I just want to kind of give us the bigger picture of what's happening in Ephesians, right? Uh, What is the bigger picture? Well, we start in chapter 1, verse 3. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Paul is writing to this new church in Ephesus that's been around, and, and he's, he's really framing this idea of, 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 our, of why we exist as a church. And where he begins is not about us. Where he begins his letter to Ephesians is not, in fact, about the church. Paul begins with a picture of this incredible God, A God of surpassing greatness and glory and power and dominion. A God full of grace and mercy. And Paul says here in chapter 1 that this great God chose you. That this great God chose us. And it starts with a picture of a God in whom we have every spiritual blessing. In other words, we're starting with a picture of a God who his, his, his motivation, his desire is to bless you. God is a God who desires to bless you. And Paul prays in verse 18 that the eyes of our hearts, that the eyes of the church, and my same prayer to renew to you today, that the eyes of your heart will be open to the incredible riches and blessings, the great inheritance that we have in this God of incredible blessing. Then he goes to chapter 2. And all of a sudden he flips the table. And he starts with you. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Paul says here that you were once dead. Dead. Not injured. Not broken. Not like, meh, I'm a... But dead. And then perhaps... The greatest conjunction, I don't know how long it's been since you took English, right? Remember what conjunctions are? Conjunction, conjunction, what's your function? Yeah, you connect two sentences together. Thank you, brother in the back, violin guy. Um, But perhaps one of the greatest conjunctions in all of Scripture. Might I say, maybe perhaps the greatest conjunction in all of human literature, verse 4. But God, but God. God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we're dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And the people of God said, amen. Here's the picture I see Paul painting. This was our life. We had one trajectory. We're going the path of death. We had nothing but death in our transgression. We had no hope of moving ourselves out of this trajectory. We had made decisions to move away from God. And we had one path, but God, being rich in mercy, being because of the great love with which he loved us, us, provided for us a way out, a way out of that trajectory, and that is through Jesus Christ. and sisters, this is the gospel message, right? The great news that this great God, a great glory, despite the great offense we had given him, that out of his great mercy and grace saved us from the only trajectory of life that we had. And now, those who have received this mercy and grace We are not only saved, but we are transformed. Paul continues and writes that you are now becoming his masterpiece, that you are becoming his workmanship, that you are being renewed and transformed into the likeness of Christ. I don't know if you guys do this here at this church, but I just want to make this a little bit interactive. Can you just turn to your neighbors? Look them in the eye. Maybe even throw a little smile at them and say this look them in the eye smile and say this you sinner <laughs> come on it's biblical okay you sinner okay but then no no don't 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 lose eye contact okay don't lose eye contact say this but god has made you his masterpiece Renew. I want to remind you that you are his masterpiece. I want to remind you that you are his masterpiece, that you are becoming his masterpiece, that this great mercy and grace that is poured upon you through the power of the Holy Spirit that you are in the process of becoming more and more like the masterpiece that God had prepared you for since the beginning. And we could just stop there. And brothers and sisters, this is the gospel message. This is the hope of our life. This is what we have received by faith. That the Bible says that if we we believe in this and that we accept this invitation, this is how we become saved. This is what makes us Christian. And even if we were to stop there and we consider the words of these first two chapters of Ephesians, by grace you have been saved. I think it's sufficient for us that it causes us to worship God because of this undeserved favor from him. That when we think about the trajectory of life that we were living in before we met Jesus, but God being rich in mercy saved us and rescued us from this trajectory of life. That when we consider the incredible work of Jesus, it ought to cause us to worship. It ought to cause us to give thanks and praise the Lord. And I could stop there. And maybe you guys would be happy because, oh, we get to get out of church early. But Paul doesn't stop there. Paul continues. You would think that this message of mercy and grace was the climax to his letter, but it's not. And he continues on. Chapter 2, verse 11 says, therefore, therefore, oh, I'm behind, therefore, therefore. When you see therefore, you have to ask yourself, what is it? Therefore. What is it, therefore? Therefore, signaling us to the point that Paul is trying to get. He's been checking since the beginning of chapter 1. He's like, follow with me, follow with me. This God of great mercy, incredible blessing, who saved you from the trajectory of death that you had. By his grace, he is making you his workmanship. He's creating you into his masterpiece. Therefore, and what does Paul says? Say, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ. Why is Paul all of a sudden talking to the Gentiles? Obviously, the church in Ephesus was full of Gentiles. Why is he all of a sudden talking to the Gentiles? Well, let me, let me share this with you. Um, imagine two groups of people, just two groups of people who just absolutely hate each other. Um, I don't know if you think I don't know who comes to mind when you think about two people that two groups of people that really hate each other, but uh, I know in Southern California nothing riles up LA Laker fans like when I mentioned the Celtics, right? And they like they have this like autosomatic like visceral reaction whenever I mention the Celtics. I, I'm not from LA, so I don't really care, but they're like, oh the Celtics, ah, and then they just like respond. Maybe here, maybe in the Bay Area, it's like Dodgers versus the Giants. No. Oh, oh, <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate. It. Maybe more, more. Maybe something that hits a little bit closer to home is like, oh, L- L.A. Kings versus the. No, no one cares about hockey. I was just, I'm just really reaching here. I'm just trying, right? Or maybe for some of you, you guys are like, oh, this is a, this is a great battle. Apple versus Google. We all know the superior company is Apple. Yes. Okay. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I just lost about half. But well, what about when we think about like outside the sports world, right? We look at history, or even what's been happening recently, This the whole Cold War, USA versus USSR, or now with Russia. You know, when we think about the history of mankind, the the history of war and violence, rise in tension, and the many, many genocides and holocausts that have happened. Uh, I know for me personally, uh, I'm Korean, uh, and I remember that, especially for my grandparents' generation, there's always this air of animosity towards Japan, Japan. you know, uh, I, re- I remember, like, you know, just hearing stories about the different, the, the, the war and all the occupation and, 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 and all the things that happened. And, and, and my grandfather actually lived through all that era. And I remember when, after I moved to the States and I came back to visit him, he sat me down very seriously. And he's like, Josh, when you get older, make sure you marry Korean. I'm like, oh, that's really weird. Okay. And he's like, don't marry American. I'm like, okay, that's kind of racist, but okay. And he's like, and then he said this, definitely don't marry Japanese. And as like a eight-year-old boy, I'm like, oh, this is really racist. And I don't know how to handle it, but, you know, these interactions I have with, and I don't know if you notice that in your own families, with, you know, from different places, but there's always this air. Like, my grandfather was an elder at his church. He helped plant churches, and he was a faithful Christian. But in his life, because of his experiences and fighting in the war and stuff like that, there was this, this hostility that still remained where it was, there's this animosity towards Japan. Now, imagine with me. There's a bunch of Lakers and Celtics fans or Dodgers and Giants fans or Korean prisoners and, and Japanese government officials. Or, or think about a bunch of Holocaust survivors and, and Nazi soldiers that these people, that, the world that we categorize as enemies, imagine these people sitting together in a church. And remember, churches back in this time, it's not like large areas like this, right? It's not hundreds of people that gathered together. It was one household. Maybe 20, 30 people sitting together. And imagine what's going through their minds as, as they're, they're sitting together. And, you know, in a church like this, you could kind of hide, right? Let's say you have beef with someone here and you, maybe one person sits in that corner and the other person sits in that corner. Or maybe someone sits outside or maybe someone's coming in on Zoom. There's a way you can hide when a church is bigger like this. But back then, it was just one living room. And there people who were gathering and they're tightly packed in there. And as they look around, they see all these people. Imagine what's going around in their minds when they see these apparent enemies, Jews and Gentiles, sitting in one room. And I don't know. I just kind of played around with this idea. But can you imagine, like, one person's like, oh, my God, why is Cornelius here? Isn't that the guy who ripped off Josephine? Isn't that the Gentile who ripped off our, our Jewish sister? Is, why is he here? And as they're, like, going through this internal struggle, looking around the room at these people that apparently, according to the wisdom of the world, are their enemies, can you imagine what happens when um, the person starts reading this letter from Paul? He says, chapter 1, I mean, there's no chapters, but chapter 1, Paul writes about this God of incredible blessing who has chosen you, who wants to bless you, and the church is like, oh, yes, amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, God, for blessing us. Chapter two. But you are sinners. You are sinners. You're dead in your trespasses. Oh, yes, I know. I know. I know. I know. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, saved us by grace, and the church erupted. And hallelujah. And praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for, for showing this grace to me, for pouring out your grace. And then chapter to part 2 Paul writes now you gentiles and Jews because of what Jesus has done you are no longer two people but you are one body that you are one person that you are one family household of God can you imagine what the church would have heard in that moment say what Cornelius is now my brother And I don't know if we can fully appreciate just how much this idea of Jesus bringing two opposing people into one household. This would have rocked the world. That this new people that God was bringing together. That because of the incredible blessing with God, which God uh, poured out upon us, that by his grace... That Jews and Gentiles, former enemies, are now made together in one person, one people. This idea would have rocked them. What Paul writes today is that this people that have been made beyond the hostility of humankind, that by the grace of God that has been joined together, Paul writes to us today, this is the church. The church is not a group of people who have Similarities of backgrounds or ethnicities or socioeconomic status or upbringings and things like that. The church is defined simply by the fact that we are recipients of incredible grace and mercy. We are not divided by race, ethnicity, culture, background, but Paul lays it clearly here that those who are in the household of God are those. Who are recipients of God's incredible grace and mercy. This is the church. I don't know about you, when I think about this, I really struggle with it. I really struggle with it because I know I have beef in my life, I know I have people where I hold prejudice against them. And I'm like, how is this possible? How is this possible? But, you know, if you look in history, this is very well possible. It's not just in Old Testament time. It's happened all throughout history. Let me tell you about one incident. In in the early 1900s, in a small industrial area of Los Angeles, There is a small, vacant, former AME church. It looks like this. Oh, it looks like this. Sorry, I'm, okay. It looks like this. And under the leadership of a, a gentleman named William J. Seymour, who was a black pastor and the son of a freed slave, a group of people started gathering together. And history tells us that they, they experienced something astonishing. Revival had fallen upon this church. Uh, one of the first members of the church, Jenny Moore, uh, as she was experiencing this, she journaled this, and she said this, on April 9th, 1906, when the evening came and we attended the meeting, it says the power of God fell. And I was baptized in the Holy Ghost and fire with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And she goes on, as I thought thereon and looked to God, it seemed as if a vessel broke within me and water surged up through my being, which when it reached my mouth came out in a torrent of speech in the languages which God had given me. That when the Holy Spirit fell upon this old AME church, that will, which will, this will be later called the Azusa Street Revival, that there are two distinct, distinct characteristics about this revival. That when people saw this group of people gathering together, there's two distinctions. Number one, this movement was distinguished by the speaking of tongues. That people had this spiritual utterance. And people were like, what's happening there? But you know what the second distinction of this revival was? In a pre civil rights movement days, early, early on in the 1900s, 1901, when segregation was not just an idea, but it was the way of the land, during the era when Jim Crow laws were still very much existing, that in this old warehouse, people of all ethnicities, race, people who were black, people who were white, people who were Asian, people who were Hispanic, they were gathering together. They were gathering together, and they were living in love and harmony. They were worshiping and experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. You can see this. uh, It's kind of hard because it's like an old faded picture, but you would have never seen a gathering like this in society at the time. And so when outsiders were looking into what was happening in this church... Some were amazed and some were drawn in. And like, what's happening here? And some people drew near. But you know, there's a lot of other people who looked at this and they could not provide an explanation. How could this happen here? How could black and white and Asian and Hispanic people, how could they be in the same room? But not only that, how could they love each other? How could they serve one another? How is this happening? And you know what? Because they couldn't explain it in their minds, they said, oh, there must be some kind of sinister motive here. It must be some kind of ploy. It must be something really sick and twisted that's happening here. But you know why? Do you know why they couldn't explain it? You know why the world could not provide an explanation for this church? Because this was a wisdom that was greater than any human wisdom. It was revealing something that Paul writes has been a mystery for many generations, but he says it has now been revealed. Chapter three, verse four through six says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, and has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. What is this mystery of Christ? What is this mystery that can make Gentiles fellow heirs to the Jews? The mystery is Jesus. The mystery revealed that all the generations that came before did not fully comprehend was that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. What Jews did not know was that Jesus came not as a Jewish Messiah, but he came as a savior of the world, that in Jesus and Jesus alone God was reconciling the world to himself that no other human philosophy No other human religion could do what Jesus set out to do. That is to reconcile those who were dead in their trespasses into a relationship with God. And what Paul wants us to see here in Ephesians is that in reconciling the world to himself, God was not only reconciling individuals, because he was knitting these individuals into one new family, into a new creation, a new people. And this new people that God was bringing together through Jesus, this is the church. This is what Paul was talking about, that the church is the new creation, the new people that God was gathering together. He was reminding the Jews, reminding the Gentiles, reminding us, you and I today, that the church is the fruit of the gospel work through Jesus. But but Paul doesn't stop there. God isn't just creating a new people. God was doing something far greater. Let's keep reading. Verse 8. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace is not just a mere explanation of the composition of the church, right? Paul's not just talking about who consists of the church, but he's also talking about not only just the form and the composition of the church, but he's talking about the objective of the church. Why is it that God has made this church? He's calling about the pur- he's talking about the purpose of the church, why the church exists and it says here the church brothers and sisters has a unique calling, the unique privilege to be the vessels that reveal God's manifold wisdom to this world. You see that in the passage? That the church has a unique privilege to take this incredible wisdom of God that has been hidden for ages, this incredible message of God's mercy and love and grace, and God has given the privilege, the responsibility, the mercy, and the invitation that through the church this Manifold, unworldly wisdom may be revealed. The church is the vehicle through which God has chosen to reveal Jesus. Don't get this wrong. There's no other institution, there's no other entity, there's no organization or gathering of individuals. who who are able to reveal the life-giving, redeeming, but God-being-rich-in-mercy message of Jesus. There's no other institution other than the church that has been given this privilege. The church is not only the fruit of this manifold wisdom of God, but we are the messengers, the revealers of this manifold wisdom. We are the embodiment of this life-changing, restorative wisdom of God. And brothers and sisters, may I remind you this morning that this is the unique calling and privilege of the church. God not only has orchestrated it, but God has designed it to be this way. And this morning, I want to remind all of us That in light of all this, it is an incredible privilege that we have to be part of the church. Amen? Amen. It's an incredible privilege and honor that we are invited into the family of God and are called the church. You know, too long, I think about even my own faith journey and where I've been with church. I think too long we've made church an individual thing, haven't we? Like, it's all about, I don't know, like, oh, I, I like the message here, and I like the worship here. Oh, I like the fellowship here. Oh, I, I like small groups here. Oh, my friends go to this church. and I don't know, it's all about me, right? All about what I can get. All, all about, like, you know, what I like. And, you know, I think especially during the pandemic and everyone going online, this kind of, like, consumer mentality has become so easy for us to have. And, in fact... Sometimes we even excuse this kind of attitude towards the church. But today I want to remind us that this is antithetical to our identity as recipients of the gospel. And I hope as we've been quickly checking through the first three chapters, and I want to encourage you that, you know, if you have some time this week to go back and read through Ephesians 1 through 3 and, and continue to chapter 6, I just want to ask that you read and really consider, deeply consider what Paul is writing here because the first part of Ephesians seems to tell us that the gospel message yes, is a message of individual hope just as much as it is a message of communal hope. That the gospel... It's about the redemption of individuals as much as it is a redemption of a people. It is a message not just for an individual, but a God who's creating a new community, a new people. And he has called this the church. And it's not just about who makes up the church, but it's about the purpose, the new life, the mission that this church has been created to fulfill. And you know what worries me today is I hear so much negativity about the church, don't we? Every day you hear something about someone criticizing the church. You know, have you ever heard this? Someone say this? If Jesus was uh, walking around today, he wouldn't come to your church, right? Have you heard that? If Jesus was around today, Jesus wouldn't come to some of your churches. And, And you know what? I think because of the way like certain churches have lost sight of their calling, that because of the certain churches and the decisions and the actions, I think much of that criticism is fair. What I'm worried about is when the, when, when the world says, see, Jesus would not come to your church, that rather than a criticism, is an outright rejection of the church. It's an outright rejection of what the church has been called to do. It claims the irrelevance of the church in modern society. But you know, I'm not so concerned about that. Jesus tells us that if they have rejected me, like him, then, he would re- then the world's going to reject his followers. So it makes sense that the world does not understand why the church exists, what the purpose of the church is. This is why the world can be so opinionated about what your church ought to be without having an idea of what the church actually is. But what actually is more concerning to me is that followers of Jesus are starting to believe the message of the world that those who profess a relationship with Jesus is believing what the world says a church should be or ought to be or what it needs to be the world is the church is beginning to believe the world that says that the church is no longer relevant that the church is optional like this, this saying was really famous back, back in the day. I don't know if people say it. And people say, I can be a follower of Jesus and not be part of the church. Right? Have you heard that? Maybe some of you have said, I, I've said it before. Oh, I, don't. I can be a follower of Jesus and not be part of the church. But when we look in Ephesians, is this possible? Can you be a disciple of Jesus, the child of the most high God, and not be part of the church, not be part of the family of God. According to Scripture, this is not possible. But can you imagine? Can you imagine if we had the right perspective of church? Can you imagine what would happen if we understood uh, correctly our role in the church? That if each individual understood that they're calling into the family of God, to love and to build, to serve sacrificially, to be ministers of reconciliation compelled by the love of Christ. Can you imagine what this church could do in Sunnyvale? You know, I happened to go on, I was looking for the address for this church and I happened to go on the website and it says this. Renewal says, we are a church that exists to declare and to demonstrate the life-changing power of the gospel. I love that. Why? We are a church. We are a church that exists to declare and demonstrate what? The manifold wisdom of God. This is why this church exists. This is why God is Sending out churches. This is why in every place you go, God plants, not individuals, but God plants churches. Community of believers. Why? Because out of the love you have for one another, it says what? The world will know that you are my disciples. By the love and the building up and the support and and the grace and mercy, even when there's conflict, even if you don't like the other person, even if the other person works for Google, because of the love of Christ that compels you. That by the love you have for one another, this world will know that you are his disciples. And when the world sees this, they won't know how to make sense of it. Why? Because this is the manifold wisdom of God that is being revealed. This is why in verse 14, Paul writes, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And Paul prays that the church will be filled up and built up so that this church will be overflowing with the love of Christ, that there would be the spirit of unity that's at work so that the manifold wisdom may be revealed in the church of Ephesus, in the church of Corinth, in the church of Philippi, the church here in Sunnyvale. And I don't know about you, but when I read this passage, I, therefore I bow my knees. You can hear that Paul has a sense of awe sense of just such a privilege right there's such gratitude that though he is the least of the saints that God has privileged him to be able to bow his knees before the father and pray for this church in Ephesus to pray and preach the gospel to the Gentiles there's such an awe and wonder that despite all the success that Paul had in his past life, he's saying, I have this incredible, divine calling and privilege to bow my knees before the Father and to pray for the uplifting and the building up of this church so that what? The manifold wisdom of God may be revealed. And brothers and sisters, may I remind you this morning that the calling that Paul felt upon his life is the same calling that each and every one of you have as a child of God, and as parts members of the church of Jesus Christ. One more time, turn to your neighbors. Sorry if this feels like youth groupy. <laughs> Say, I am called to love you. I am called to build you up. Amen. May that be true about renewal. My question to you is Do you bow your knees before the Father for renewal? Do you have that sense of privilege and honor that God has not just called you to attend on Sundays, but man, I've been given the honor and privilege to, in my room, to bow my knees before God and to intercede on behalf of this church? Do you pray and say, God, thank you for this family? I have such a privilege because this is according to your great mercy and love for me. You have called me to be in this church at this time. God, it is my great privilege to pray to you for the lifting up, the filling of the love of Jesus in this church. Do you lift up your leaders? Do you bow your knees before the Father and lift up Pastor Ulysses and Christine and all the people who are are serving and leading you? And I'm not pointing them out because they're like, I mean, you guys are very special. I love you guys. But, you know, it's not because they're like any, you know, like they're special people or like, you know, it's not this like hierarchical thing that we're creating. But we believe that God has designated, God has chosen Pastor Ulysses and Christine and the leaders of this church to help guide this church according to the wisdom of God. Do you bow your knees before your heavenly father for these guys? Do you bow your knees for Pastor John and Stephanie and Elder John in Guatemala? Because you have this privilege to join in what God is doing in Guatemala. Even if you never go, that your prayers will be used so that the manifold wisdom of God will be revealed in the La Gracia Church in Guatemala. There's this incredible privilege. And you know, the reason why I'm sharing this today is not because Pastor Ulysses came up to me and said, "Hey, Hey, Josh, like... Help a brother out. You know, we need more people to serve. You know, we need more people to show up. Like, can you like, you know, this is not a propaganda to enlist you. This isn't so that I'm here to like guilt trip you to serve, even though you guys should serve. <laughs> My desire for sharing this with you is so that you would be incredibly blessed. I want you to be blessed. We go back to the God of Ephesians 1. The God in whom we have every spiritual blessing. God wants to bless you. Our our senior pastor, Pastor Keith, always says this. God is a father who's looking for an excuse to bless you. And I have two little girls. If I just keep blessing them, it's going to just spoil them rotten. And so I create these like weird like things that they do it's not much right just because I'm, I'm looking for an excuse to bless them oh yes have another chocolate oh yes have another piece of candy god is a god a father who's just looking for an excuse to bless you and god wants to bless you so much and one of the avenues that he has designed for you to experience every spiritual blessing is through the church that as you partake in the church as you participate in the church as you sacrificially give yourself for the church and as the manifold wisdom of God is revealed to this world you will be blessed incredibly because that's what your heavenly father wants to do you know that's my prayer for Seattle that as we learn to do church together that God will give us the privilege of revealing his manifold wisdom in Seattle we don't go because we have all the answers We don't go because we're like such nice people and that we can love people on our own. None of that will last. But we go because we believe that God is at work in Seattle. We believe that God is drawing hearts, just like that waitress at that restaurant, towards him in Seattle. And because God has designed it in such a way that it is the church that has the privilege to reveal the manifold wisdom of God, we believe that there needs to be a church in the city of Seattle. Not that there's no other church, but that all the churches in the Seattle area must reveal the manifold wisdom of God. That's why we're going. And I pray the same thing for you, all of you in renewal. That here at this church, that the manifold wisdom of God, this otherworldly wisdom, that only in Jesus do we have salvation and reconciliation with God. That as that begins to take root in your lives and you're able to love and serve others because the love of Christ compels you. That as you're in community together and just like this, you gather together in person to worship God in person, together, in proximity. That there is this revelation of God's wisdom happening and that when random people walk through and like, what's happening here? That they're struck by this incredible love of God and this otherworldly wisdom that they never Knew about. And I pray that as it happens, you'll see people who have never heard the name of Jesus before. That you would see people who have never set foot in a church before. That you would tangibly see before your eyes the Holy Spirit coming upon them and renewing them and transforming them from the inside out. I pray that you would experience the incredible blessing and privilege of being at the forefront of that kind of God's work in your life. That you would live with such purpose. You know one word that keeps coming to me for our current generation. And our current society. That you would live with tenacity. You live with tenacity. The dare I say even arrogance. Because you know this is why you were created. This is why you were made. This is why you were saved. This is why God's redemptive work is in you. So that through the family of God coming together. The manifold wisdom of God will be revealed. And when you see this happening in your church, man, that's when life really becomes fun. That's when life becomes really abundant. Paul closes off this letter. Now to him who is able to f- do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory and the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. May you experience the greater things of God. May you experience the God who is able to do far more abundantly than what we could ever ask or think. As individuals, as a church, that when we bow our knees before the Father and pray, Lord, make renewal a church where your manifold wisdom is revealed. May it be revealed to our families, our communities, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our schools. My dear brothers of renewal, as you pray and bow your knees before the Father, may you have the abundant blessing of being part of the revelation of the manifold wisdom of God here in Sunnyvale and to the ends of the earth. And may God's manifold wisdom revealed be revealed here in Sunnyvale, as it is in heaven. Amen. 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 Can we pray together for just a few moments? I know we're a little bit out of time, but um, as the worship comes, I, I think one thing that I began to notice in my life, and I think a lot of people today, and I imagine for many of you who work in the tech industry, um, I wonder, when was the last time that you were able to just take a moment to just pause and to reflect and to think you know where you turn off your phones your devices where you're not so connected to everything and just take a moment to slow down your thoughts and consider what the word of god says to us today how are you doing in living out your calling as a church How are you doing in loving and serving, sacrificially giving, not necessarily because the other person deserves it, but because the love of Christ compels you, that this great love and mercy of God has poured upon you and has called you into the family, the household of God. How are you doing in that? Today, just as you pray, invite the Lord to God. Compel my heart. I want to be part of the manifold wisdom of God being revealed in renewal, being revealed in Sunnyvale, being revealed in California, the United States, Guatemala, Asia, to the ends of the earth. God, What a privilege it is that I've been called your son and daughter. What a privilege it is that I've been called into the household of God. Lord, what a privilege it is that I've been called into the church. Father, teach me what it means to live that out of my life. Now, as the worship team just covers us, you're free to join them in song, but I really want to encourage you, just take a few moments to pause your thoughts and just deeply consider this invitation of the incredible privilege that we have to be the church. Can I pray like that for a few moments? Let's pray together.